This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to our latest podcast. I can tell you that uh, the way we had planned this out has changed shape just a little bit uh, since we made plans to record this uh, as a winter meetings preview. Well, it looks like uh, it's sort of a preview and sort of a reaction. Uh, and the reason I say that is uh, after recording interviews with Peter Bendix, Ray's general manager, uh, also Jeffrey, uh, Jeff McLaren on the minor league side and doing a mailbag segment with uh, our Becca Carney and uh, another segment as well um, on the community engagement side on our week of giving with William Wetzel, uh, there were reports first from Jeffrey Passan, and then Mark Topkin had even more details that the Rays had signed Zach Eflin, Zach Eflin a um, starting pitcher to a three-year deal reportedly worth $40 million. Pretty big deal. In fact, it would be the largest in terms of total dollars that the Rays have allotted to a free agent. Certainly not as big as some of the in-house deals they made over the years, whether it was a Kevin Kiermeyer and Evan Longoria, James Shields in terms of total dollars, Wander Franco, uh, not in the same in terms of dollars per year as Charlie Morton, but certainly significant. And it's significant for a number of reasons. And, and before we get into our Peter Bendix interview, which, um, again, I did not knowing the Eflin deal was coming, um, and you'll obviously notice that when we get into some of the topics we get into, you know, I think the Eflin deal is big for a number of reasons. First, as I blogged about earlier in the week, I think it there was a need for the race rotation as good as Tyler Glass now, Shane McClanahan, Drew Rasmussen, and, and Jeffrey Springs are. There's also some risk in terms of innings and injury. Uh, Glassnell's coming off Tommy John. Shane McClanahan made 28 starts, but that's the most he's made in the big leagues. Uh, Drew Rasmussen, two-time Tommy John guy. Jeffrey Springs had been a reliever before for five years before throwing 130-plus innings last year. And even in Eflin's case, he's a guy who local product, Rays feel they can get a, a lot out of um, and maximize his pitch mix. Uh, but he also has had knee injuries the last couple seasons. And I think the Rays feel there's a lot more in there. They've had a lot of success keeping guys who are even older, like Charlie Morton and Rich Hill and Corey Kluber, healthy during the course of the season. Eflin is just 28, and I think the Rays feel that they're getting him at a good time. Uh, they're getting him for what I, I think if they maximize his health and maximize his stuff, this will actually turn out to be a very good deal for Tampa Bay. Uh, and I don't think it precludes them from going out and getting the bats that I know fans want to see them add. I don't think it impacts that. But I think what it does say is that maybe the Rays felt from an overall standpoint that um, the, the dollar value for pitching, there was a greater return on the free agent market. And maybe they're more likely to get bats on the trade market at some point this year. Um, you know, I think Jose Abreu, as I get allude to a little bit later on in a Q&A in our mailbag, I was kind of surprised he got three years and 60. I thought that was a lot for his age and where he stands. 
uh, even though he's been a very productive hitter. Um, and similarly, maybe the Eflin contract is a bit undervalued. And for that reason, this was the right time to strike. Um, either way, I do like the move. Um, you know, if you looked at the fifth starter options, Luis Patino is a guy who's not thrown 100 innings yet and still has some development to do. Taj Bradley just got to the AAA level, has some development to do. Josh Fleming still has to develop in terms of the ability to get right-handed hitters out. And Yanni Chirinos, as durable as he was for a stretch, is coming back from Tommy John and missed the past two, three seasons almost. So, you know, you don't know how many innings you'd get out of him. So adding another high-end arm, uh, who I think is probably better than the three, four starter type that he's been typecast as, um, if the Rays maximize health and, and also pitch mix, I think makes for a good addition. Now, again, we did not know that going into our interview with Peter Bendix, but I say that as we get into it with Peter. And really one of the first things I asked was coming off the Thanksgiving Day holiday, uh, was there a chance to kind of catch your breath? Obviously, we found out in hindsight the case was no, but here's what Peter had to say about all of that. I don't think things ever shut down entirely, but we were fortunate this year to have a relatively quiet period, at least for us, for a couple of days where my family was in town. I think we were all able to spend at least a couple of good days with family and kind of recharge a little bit. Tell me what this period is like leading up to the winter meetings. We haven't had a winter meetings in, what, three years? That's right. Yeah, I think we're excited to have the winter meetings again. It's always a a fun week where a lot of things happen. And I think it's something of an artificial deadline for the market, which spurs a lot of action. And I think that makes things a lot of fun for us. Pretty hectic, but in the way that we like that. And it's also something that is really positive for fans and for the marketplace generally. The more action that we can have, the better. How important is that for the game? You know, I think last year, the lockout wasn't good. But there was an artificial deadline created for the lockout that led to a lot of action before and probably led to a lot of action also very quickly thereafter. Not that you want that spread in between, but I would imagine that in some ways artificial deadlines do start to move the market faster. Absolutely. I think if you look at other sports, they have more of a a strict deadline period for free agency and things like that. And as a result, you see a lot of action very quickly. Whether that's better or worse, I think, is anybody's individual opinion. I personally tend to like that just because those deadlines do spur action. And without a deadline, things kind of can drag on indefinitely, which I don't think is good for anybody. The Rays have never been, I would say, a team that has felt compelled to make moves at the winter meetings themselves. So what are the winter meetings like or what have they been like and what are you expecting out in San Diego? The winter meetings are a hectic time period. There's a lot of people who are out there for each club. There's a lot of vendors out there. There's medical component of the winter meetings. There's minor league affiliate receptions. There's all sorts of things that I think take up a lot of time. But it's also a natural place where agents and players show up. All 30 teams are there. It's a lot easier to focus on deals, whether it's trades, free agents, whatnot. There's just so much else going on that sometimes it can be a little distracting. And obviously the attention for the sport and having it in one central place is obviously good for the game. Uh, In terms of the meetings themselves and and what you guys do, can you take us a little bit behind the curtain? Do you guys each take a number of different teams and have conversations? Is someone handling more on the agent side? Give us a feel for how many people are, let's say, involved in conversations with teams. 
Well, with the way that technology works now, it's not terribly different when we're all in one place because we're communicating via text and phone calls anyway. But I think when we're ever, when we're all there, being able to have some in-person meetings, whether it's with players, with agents, get to know people a little bit better, make it a little bit more personal and human. Those are the advantages of all being in one place. And so to the extent that we're able to take advantage of that, just build relationships. Maybe it doesn't result in a deal this one time, but it could help things the next time that we have a deal with that agent or with that team. So in terms of the actual work, it's not necessarily that different than if we were all based out of the trop, but we try to use that time to our advantage and have those in-person meetings. And is there, from that standpoint, do you guys normally have, Peter has these teams, Eric Neander talks to these clubs, someone else in the organization talks to these teams, or are you all, in essence, it depends kind of on the time of year or the situation? Really all of the above. Uh, Both me and Eric speak with other teams about trades. There's a few other people involved with that as well. Um, We speak with different agents. A lot of it depends on existing relationships, depends on what else is kind of on each person's plate. Running a club and trying to do a lot of different things at once. It's a job that I, it takes way more than just one person, two people. And it's something where the more people who can contribute, I think the more efficient and productive we can be. On the amateur side, when we see the Major League Baseball draft, we always see the war room. So at the winter meetings, is there in essence a war room for the race where you guys are having constant discussions once things are happening or starting to happen potentially? And is that similar format when you're back here? Yeah, at the winter meetings, we do, each team usually has a suite, a pretty large size suite that can accommodate a lot of people. And if there's particular things going on, if there's things we need to work through or talk about, we'll often congregate in that suite in person to try to work through things as quickly as we can. Not dissimilar to the amateur draft, the difference being that there isn't a draft, there isn't a point in time where a decision necessarily needs to be made. So it's very dependent on what's going on at that particular time. I would, as we record this, I would say most of the major free agents have not come off the board to this point. There haven't been what I would call a lot of really large trades. How would you characterize where the market is at this point in time and and how does it play for, how does that impact the race? I think the market is still feeling things out, which I think is pretty typical for this time of year. Usually once things start getting going, once a couple of players sign or a large trade happens, we see kind of an unlocking of the dam, so to speak, and a lot of things follow from that. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens in the next few days. I wouldn't be surprised if it takes another month. It seems to depend on the year, the players involved, the agents involved, the teams involved. It's pretty different every year. In that regard, can you tell whether this is a year where more is likely to happen via free agency or more is likely to happen via trade? I know the Rays really have to adjust according to the market, not being the you know one of the higher revenue clubs. It's really hard to tell how things are going to play out. I think one interesting wrinkle from this year is now we have the extra playoff team. And I think this is the first offseason, really, where teams understand what that means, what that doesn't mean, how that impacts their own decision-making. I don't know how that will change things, but that extra playoff team and the fact that you don't need quite as many wins to make it into the playoffs and have a chance, that certainly changes things. And especially, I would think, because of the fact that, what, the last couple of years, you had one World Series team and one World Series winner that both had, what, fewer than 90 wins during the regular season. 
Absolutely. The teams that are the best during the regular season tend to be the best in the postseason. But once you get into the postseason and you're playing short series, we just saw what happened with the Phillies. They got hot at the right time. Their stars came through and they made it to the World Series. And with the Astros, they were arguably the best team in baseball all year long. And that continued into the playoffs, too. So I think that's something that makes baseball a lot of fun is there's a real advantage to being the best team. But it certainly doesn't guarantee you anything. No doubt. Um, As you look at the club currently, what do you like about where you're at right now? What concerns you about the group right now in terms of where you would like to improve? We have a tremendous amount of talent. We are returning a ton of talent from this past year's club. That talent is still young. They're still relatively inexperienced, but they now have another full season of ups and downs of a playoff appearance under their belts. That talent now is able to hopefully have a better understanding of what it takes to really win over the course of an entire season. And we have an additional group in AAA on our 40-man kind of ready to take their opportunity when it's there too. So this is as much talent as we've had in the organization really since I've been here. I think the key for us is now supplementing that with the right pieces, whether it's certain components on the field, whether it's leadership in the clubhouse, mentorship, just that experience that you know someone like a David Peralta was able to bring to us, trying to figure out how we can put our young players in position to succeed and to let their talent play because they're incredibly talented. You mentioned David Peralta. Is the need greater on the offensive side to have that leader in that end or in the pitching side where obviously you guys do have a very impressive foursome at the top of your rotation right now? It's difficult to say whether a need is greater in any particular area. I think it's just something where that complementary piece of leadership, of experience, you know, last year it was Peralta in the second half and it was Corey Kluber. I think each of them added a lot to our clubhouse. I think that that type of thing is really useful, valuable, and something that we certainly don't overlook when building a team. While you're building a team, you're also probably, and trying to add to your team, you're probably monitoring your current group. You couldn't do that at this point last year. You had more than a three-month gap, basically, where you couldn't have conversations with current players. How much is going on right now, and how much do you think that helps you formulate what you truly need going forward? It's really vital to be able to communicate with our players during the offseason, even if that communication is just a basic check-in to see how they're doing. Oftentimes, it's something much more detailed than that. It's workouts, it's nutrition, it's things to keep their body in the right place so they can hit the ground running during spring training. And not being able to do so a year ago really reinforced just how important that is now that we can do so. Obviously, Shane Boz, Andrew Kittredge, we know they're recovering from Tommy John surgery. Do you get a good feel about the rest of the group and where they are health-wise, at least at this point as we talk on the 1st of December? Yeah, we have a great feel for where everybody is right now. I think we're very happy with where the group is right now, and the key is maintaining. And the key is also getting some rest and recovery. The season is really, really long. It is a grind. It takes a physical toll. And so while you have to keep your body in good shape and make sure that you're staying prepared for the season, you also don't want to overwork in the offseason either. Well, hopefully your minds are all in good shape and you're ready for the grind of the winter meetings. We'll see you out in San Diego, and we appreciate some time on the latest podcast. Thanks very much, Neil. Well, we certainly appreciate the time of one Peter Bendix joining us on the podcast today. And now with us as we continue our preview of the winter meetings is Jeff McLaren. Jeff, thanks very much for a few minutes. Hey, thanks for having me on, Neil.
This is normally a busy time for the entire organization, but is it more so on the minor league side this year just because of how many staff members were promoted from the minor league side to the big league level over the last year and even two years? Yes, uh, th- this time of year, you know, is is typically when we're we're setting setting up for for the next season and certainly the last two off seasons. Um, the the big push has been getting our staff in place. You know, as as we've had a lot of success and as the industry has um, taken note of that, and you know, including internal promotions, we've we've had a lot of staff members getting opportunities that uh, open up spots on on our minor league staff, and so. That has been a, a major point of emphasis for us for continuing to have good people um, as part of our organization so we can kind of continue to build on the success we've had. So let's get into that a little bit. You think about the last two years. You've had Brady Williams, Rick Knapp, Dan DeMent, Brady North, Chris Prieto, Jorge Moncada, Tomas Francisco promoted to the major league side. And I know I'm missing someone else in that group. How do you go about filling those those losses? Is it promote from within and backfill to those type positions or a combination of outsider uh, people from the outside? How do you look at that? Yeah, in similar fashions to the way we look at players, there's a a constant eye towards who's next. And, you know, our goal with um, everything we do in development is to have somebody ready to to have an answer to that question of who's next so that when there are promotions, um, we have somebody that has been working towards or developing towards filling that that position. is that always the case? No, uh, especially with the, the the number of promotions that we've had over the last couple of years, um, it it's been you know a mix of uh, a balance of having to bring some guys in from outside the organization, um, as well as promotions. And there's definitely some some positives to to looking outside. Is that we we maybe bring an influx of new ideas or a new way of looking at things um, that is able to to complement the group that we already have, but. For the most part, just like our big league side is doing and with their promotions from within, um, we're trying to promote as much as we can. Because I would think, too, you want to maintain that that thought, that you know, building process philosophy and having guys who are used to the raise way. Absolutely. You know, culture is, is something that we think is a big part of, of the success that we've had, and we've spent a lot of time developing that. And so having people in leadership, positions that are um, are engrossed in that and have have really been part of the the builders of that culture is is important and helpful to make sure that that maintains as we kind of go forward so yes there's there's definitely a push to want to go to internal as as much as we can but um, you know also have to be a balance to make sure that we we have some experience on staff that um, you may not have if you if you're continually having to backfill at the at the lowest entry levels and that I was curious too when you say backfill uh, or when we talk about backfilling some people look at the, the the best or most experienced teachers they want with the youngest players because they're newest to the system. Some want them with the oldest players because they're closest to the big leagues. What's the thought process with the Rays on how they balance that level of experience at different levels of the organization? You know, we in in some ways we started to think about this um you know, similar, you know, all of our coaches are teachers. And so thinking of this similarly to kind of an education system in terms of, you know, while players are always looking to and students are always looking to progress and advance all the way to the end of the line, um, you know, not everybody is, is built to be a college professor or has the skill set to be a, you know, the middle school teacher. And so we look at it as what are the skill sets that are best, whether it's, you know, the 
finishing touches that a player needs to to succeed in the big leagues or it's building that foundation and we found over the course of time that certain coaches are better at, at handling um, certain certain aspects of the journey and trying to put them in a spot where they can provide the most most value to us and to the players um, as they they maximize their skill set and where the player is in their journey. You you know you mentioned the possibility of going outside too. Like the Rays did get a very senior executive to help with the front office and John Daniels. How much uh, there is so much turnover this time of year? How much are there candidates that you guys didn't even think about that? Wow, this is someone who could really be a help because uh, it was a couple of years ago that unfortunately Jimmy, uh, several years ago Jimmy Hoff passed. You lost some really experienced veteran people like that. Yes, yeah, so with all the turnover that we've had, there's definitely been a drain in in experience. Um, you know, starting at my chair um, and me taking over for for Mitch, who had decades more experience than I have, and so we've definitely had to look um, for ways that we can we can supplement our group and and have people involved who have had some of these experiences, so that it helps all all of us learn a little bit quicker. Um, you know, there's so much happening in the minor league space. Um, in this development space over the last few years that uh, it is really important to be able to lean on people who have have life experiences that will help navigate some of these challenges that we face. And so, yeah, there is definitely the balance of, of wanting to have, um, you know, staff get new opportunities and get promotions, but also needing to have some people in places that have have some lived experience that will, will help us make the right decisions moving forward. And I know there are several things that go on in the winter meetings. You get together with some of your minor league affiliates who you haven't seen in person, um, at least at this type of event, in quite a while because of the pandemic. Um, how much of your staff of on the minor league side is determined by the end of the winter meetings? Or when when do you like to kind of get those things in place ahead of, let's say, spring training? Typically, it, it you know, we had liked to. The goal has been always been get done by the end of the winter meetings. I think over the last few years, especially as there's been so much turnover in major league staffs across the industry, um, that timeline kind of backs up things on the minor league side. So, a lot of times we're now looking at you know can we get done by January first, um, and so that when really when we flip the calendar and really start pushing full full steam ahead towards spring training that we have our staff in place. And, you know, I think we're tracking pretty well, given, especially given all the, the hires that we're going to have promotions that we're making and having to make. Um, I think we're tracking okay to, to hit that timeline. And, um, you know, we're still pretty excited about the staff that, uh, the way it's coming together. And, and one thing I was curious too on is uh, the pitching side, because, you know, let's say Dewey Robinson, I know took a, a step, you know, a step away, um, and then went on to the Pirates, and then Jorge Moncada was just promoted, and he was one of your pitching coordinators. Is that probably one of the more important um, coordinator positions as you guys try and figure that out? You had two last year. How's the philosophy on pitching going forward? Yes, that's another spot where, you know, or that one of the the main spots that we're focused on um, this offseason, especially uh, as – you know, like you mentioned, it's been turnover for several years running now in the pitching space. And also this pitching space is one that is becoming more and more specialized in terms of the way it's pitchers are being developed, which, you know, needs a, more oversight and needs, you know, more people making connections because of all the different things that we're drilling down into. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's a spot that we've continually looked at to reimagine um, how, you know, leadership comes together. Um, in order to cover all the different things that we're trying to do. One thing we're very fortunate in is that our, 
our group of pitching coaches is still incredibly strong. And so we feel really good that, you know, no matter who comes in its place with the leadership, they're going to have a really strong group to work with um, that will hopefully set everyone up for success. And this is a time of year where I guess you also have to worry you're trying to add players, obviously, as the Rays are in the major and minor league side, but you're also the chance at the winter meetings of losing some players, be they on the Rule 5 major league side or probably the minor league side too. Yes, and that's, you know, I think Peter has said this several times is that, you know, this is um, this is probably a good thing. Um, you know, we never like losing players and losing good players, but if we have so many good players that we don't have room for all of them, um, that, that means we're doing something right. And so that's kind of, I guess, the cost of doing business and the way that we develop players is that we know at the end of the day that we're not going to have room for everybody uh, to be protected at the levels that they've earned. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, you know, bracing ourselves for, um, some losses there, but you know, that, that again, it opens up opportunity for who's next, um, this time on the player side. And, and the idea is that you've got somebody, um, maybe who's not real five eligible yet this year, who's ready to step into some of those roles. Um, should we lose some players along the way? Well, hopefully the losses are minimal, uh, and, uh, the gains are good in terms of, uh, the staff that you're looking to add and, and move up the chain. We appreciate a few minutes on our latest podcast. Thanks for having me again, Neil. Well, great to chat with Jeff McLaren about the week ahead. And uh, we turn from what's going on in San Diego to what will be going on. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. In Tampa Bay, while the Rays baseball operations staff, the majority of them, are out in San Diego, and that is uh, the Rays and Rowdy's Week of Giving. And joining me from Community Engagement is William Wetzel. William, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me here to talk about the Rays and Rowdy's annual tradition, the Week of Giving. It's exciting. Tell us what it's about when it started and, and the importance of it. Yeah, so what it's about is just kind of acting on our mission to energize the community through the magic of Rays baseball and rowdy soccer. How it started was years ago, we just thought like, hey, even though it's our off season, doesn't mean that we're done giving back to the community. So we string together events across typically a week in December where we're engaging the community, we're helping our community partners, we're doing a myriad of projects across uh, across the bay and the area itself. So tell our fans what events are going to be going on during this coming week uh, while the winter meetings are going on. Yeah, so we have a backpack donation. We're donating 825 backpacks to students at Campbell Park Elementary and Lakewood Elementary, and that's with the Pinellas Education Foundation. We're also, the organization is volunteering at Feeding Tampa Bay's Trinity Cafe. Um, We also have more organizational kind of service projects. We are partnering with St. Vincent de Paul to kind of help their center of hope and thrift store locations with some much needed uh, revamping and some projects they wanted to get done there. And then we're going down to Charlotte County to help with Hurricane Ian recovery efforts, teaming up with Team Rubicon to do some kind of heavy duty uh, recovery efforts there. A really cool one we have is with our partners here at Enchant and then Family Support Services. On Thursday, we're having 
16 families out and 10 families are going to be officially finalizing their adoptions here at Tropicana Field and then Enchant's opening early so they're going to get exclusive access to Enchant before folks arrive and then across the past month we've as an organization we've been hosting a toy drive for all our employees and the toys are going to benefit the boys and girls clubs of Charlotte County. Which obviously were hit very hard by Ian. So let's touch on both of those last two items because I think they're probably the ones you're going to pull at the heartstrings of of our listeners. I mean, first, uh, for years, the race have been involved in connecting families and adopting. And I guess being able to do this all at the holidays is, is kind of a, a wonderful time to be able to make that connection. Absolutely. The holidays is kind of that natural connection, uh, the kind of the family, the warm feelings. But the kind of foster care support and youth services is something we've done every single game. We have uh, something called the Home Run Club where we're partnered with eight or more foster care and youth services agencies in the Tampa Bay area. And every single game, there's a group in one of the suites here at Tropicana Field enjoying a game. So this is just kind of furthering a program and deepening a connection that we've had for years here. And there has been obviously a long connection to Charlotte County and the Rays did make it official on Thursday night that unfortunately they won't be playing games in Charlotte County, but that doesn't lessen the connection to that community. And this is obviously a great example of that. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, w- we realized there's a need after Hurricane Ian. We had I believe, five or six uh, hurricane relief drives within a week of the storm hitting here. And then we just knew there's still so much more work to be done there, both in the recovery efforts, but then also with the holiday season, we knew that there's going to be families and kids who were going to be impacted, and that impact might carry over into their holiday season. So one way we wanted to help the kids is still make sure that the holiday season is something that they can remember fondly and look forward to this year. And, and that's something that you know I think people don't realize in this area. The Boys and Girls Club, the actual building, was you know, was destroyed by Hurricane Ian, right? Correct. And it's, we work closely with that club, and this was a need when we reached out. We've been in close contact ever since the storm passed, and this was an idea we had, and they said this would be help immensely. They're having a party for all their families and kids, and this is something that they'll be able to – basically it takes one thing off their plate where we're able to kind of help the kids in the club still have that warm holiday season with toys and all that while they can kind of focus on kind of rebuilding and – getting back to where they were prior to the storm. And obviously it's it's great that the Rays are involved with that and in so many great causes that you touched on for this Rays and Rowdy's Week of Giving. Um, if we have listeners who are tuning into this podcast and they want to help in some way, is there a way that they can get involved with Week of Giving or are there things that you guys with community engagement recommend? Yeah, I would recommend going to RaysBaseball.com slash community. We'll have a list of all of our community partners uh, across the nine county area then links out to those sites to help those groups who maybe need volunteers or looking for funds to donate or anything like that those are community partners we are connected to care about a lot and folks that we want to help throughout the year whether it's us or the fans or we encourage everyone to help those folks out well william we appreciate a few minutes we hope it is a very smooth week of giving and obviously a lot of positive memories made throughout tampa bay absolutely thank you neil All right, we appreciate the time of William Wetzel for joining us on the podcast. That's a first, and that's not the only first we have on this podcast today. We've got Becca Carney with us. So, Becca, no pressure. You are going to fire away in our mailbag segment, right? Oh, yeah. Are you ready, Neil? Because I'm ready. All right, let's see what you've got, and let's see what our listeners have brought this week. 
All right, so Steve said on Twitter, Is Kevin Cash a decent manager or has he just had really good talent? He also referred to the base running issues we had and the defensive errors that turned into losses this season. You know, I think that, for one, Dave, Andy, and I all spoke about this during the course of the year, that even though he wasn't recognized as manager of the year as he was the last two, I thought in some ways Kevin and the staff did their best job of keeping the ship afloat. Um, When you look at context, you know, I, I always said this with Joe Madden or any good manager, you're only as good as your players. I mean, Dusty Baker didn't become a great manager last year. He had really good players who stayed really, really healthy and played really, really well. And I think the fact that the team made the playoffs for a fourth straight year last year without Andrew Kittredge for much of the year, without Tyler Glass now for much of the year, with Pete Fairbanks injured for a half, and I can, J.P. Fireisen only pitched two months, and you know then you had all the other injuries to starters and the loss of Shane Boz and Luis Patino and on and on, plus... Brandon Lau, Kevin Kiermaier, Wander Franco, Mike Zanino, and you know I think probably the most telling stat was those guys, those four guys who were supposed to be your catcher, second baseman, shortstop, center fielder, played a grand total of 12 games together out of 162. Uh, I think Kevin did a really good job um, and still is a really, really good manager. That doesn't change. Uh, what changed was the team was probably even less healthy than they were any of the previous years. And I think that's going to rock any team. I think the teams who had more or similar numbers of days on the IL last year were the Twins, the Cubs, and the Reds. And none of those teams were close to making the postseason. So Kevin's just as good a manager. Do they need to get better on the bases? Yes. Do they need to be better defensively? Yes. But I think a lot of that also would come with health of some of more of their veteran players. And I also think that in some ways the youth, you know, we we – appreciate how good the Rays have been playing young players, but sometimes young players aren't always um, consistent. And this year certainly was one of those cases, and hopefully next year they're better. All right. Next question. Well, here we go. So with you know the holidays coming up, we asked Rays fans what's on their wish list for this upcoming season. So Justin messaged us and said he wishes of a rotation with Glassnow, McClanahan, Rasmussen, and Springs. How likely is this? I would say those four in the rotation is very likely. I would not be surprised if the Rays look to add another veteran arm. You know, you look at the past years. They added Charlie Morton. They added a Corey Kluber last year. They had Rich Hill and Michael Waka before that. I'm not quite sure how the market is going to shake out in San Diego, and I'm anxious to find out. Um, But I do think that the Rays would look to add. And the reason I say that is multifold. And we wrote about it on our blog at raceradio.mlblogs.com. Tyler Glasnow has... Never had 150 inning major league, 150 innings in a big league season. Um, Shane McClanahan had that, but look, he also had a shoulder issue near the end of the year, um, and he was an All Star last year. And Drew Rasmussen is a two time Tommy John guy, and for the better part of five years, Jeffrey Springs was pitching in relief and then had 135 innings. So if you're expecting 600 innings out of that group and expecting health and expecting then who steps up as the fifth guy to pitch 150-plus innings, it would certainly take the pressure off if you added someone who also could give you another 150-quality innings. So if the Rays add another starter via trade, via free agency, via veteran presence, don't be shocked. All right. Thank you, Neil. And uh, we've got another one. This one's from David and several other followers who have been asking this this season, this past season especially. Um 
They're asking about the Rays' desire to add more offense and improve the power output for 2023. What options, external or internal, do you see as viable to improve the Rays' lineup? That's a hard question to answer. I think they will make every effort to do so. And, you know, the reason I say it's hard to answer because I don't know how the market is going to play. A lot is going to depend on how the dominoes fall. How much does Aaron Judge get? How much does Xander Bogarts get? How much does Trey Turner get? How much do all of those players get? And how does that then trickle down to the remaining players on the market? I was maybe not surprised that Jose Abreu ended up with the Houston Astros as an example. I was surprised that he got three years and nearly $60 million as a thirty guy who's going to be 37, 38, and 39 during the course of that segment. Would he have been a really good fit for the race? Sure. Would he have been a good fit at that cost for a guy who, you know, good defender, not great defender, good clubhouse guy, but is it? how is that bat going to hold up over a three-year deal? I didn't think that was going to be a great fit. So I think the Rays will look to add wherever possible. Um, I'm curious how the market shakes out. I would expect that that first base DH area is still going to be a focal area, whether it's via free agency or trade. I'm not quite sure, but I think they will look to add. And power is important. Um, I certainly think if the Rays had a healthy Brandon Lau, that would matter a great deal. And that would add someone into your lineup who would take pressure off of guys. But having another guy or two like that would certainly help too, and I hope they're able to find it. All right, I got one bonus question for you. This is the last one of this segment. What's it going to take, Neil? Joseph and Dan really want to know, what's it going to take for a Neil Solon's bobblehead to come out next season? Ooh, I stay out of the marketing realm. Uh, I think the the bobbleheads are left to the... Dave and Andy, when because they're coming up on a 20th anniversary soon. Your next year is year 19, so we're closing in on 20, and next year's 25th anniversary. I would, I always defer to uh, the veteran guys. I'm okay with no bobblehead. So, um, plus I don't have anything that would be that catchy. No big, no big call unless off the pole, and I don't know if that quite counts. So let's let's hold off on the bobbleheads, and you'll just see me at some watch parties. All right. Well, I think they might be disappointing some fans. They want to add it to their collection, but uh, we'll keep it in uh, for the future. All right. Sounds good. We appreciate Becca Carney. Great first appearance on the podcast. Hopefully many more to come. I will be in San Diego, and you can always take a look at what we're doing out there via the Twitterverse. Uh, while it's still existing in existence, uh, you can still do it on our blog, raiseradio.mlblogs.com. And we'll have podcasts and a show as well on our flagship station. So all of that is to come in San Diego. We certainly thank our guests, not only Becca Carney, but William Wetzel, Peter Bendix, Rays General Manager, and also Jeff McLaren, the head of minor league operations for the Rays. Thanks so much for being with us. We will chat with you soon.